You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. The title of the program today is Two Sons. Hello again, my radio friends. It's wonderful to be with you again and share the Word of God in this series of programs, Give Me the Bible. What I want to share with you today is a Bible story illustrating what I have for so long wanted you to understand. That is, that God loves you. The Bible contains some beautiful stories, Stories that almost make your heart melt. And it has some stories which are quite gruesome. Without putting too strong a point on it, the fact that these stories are there show that the Bible is a book that can be trusted because it does not hold back on the realities of life. If it contained only stories that were sweet and lovely and had always had good outcomes, anyone could be excused in thinking that the Bible had been contrived from someone's imaginations. But the Bible is a book about reality. It is a book about life. It tells of the ugliness of sin and of how sin has damaged the world and its inhabitants. But it also tells of a wonderful and loving God who wants all those damaged by sin to be made whole again and to enjoy what God originally planned for mankind, that is, eternal life. It tells in various and many ways that God is love. There are recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John a number of parables told by Jesus. A parable is a story with a meaning. A parable is a message in story form. Probably the parables Jesus told were very likely about actual events of that day and age, things that were newsworthy, things that people knew about. In relating some of these news stories, Jesus drew meaning from them that illustrated a point he wanted to make. The parable we will consider today concerns a man and his two sons. We will get to the meaning toward the end. You can almost imagine the headline in the Shiloh Times newspaper, Missing Son Found. Then you could imagine the subheading, David Cohen, younger son of Mr. and Mrs. Malachi Cohen, returns home after an absence of two years. And then there is the story that follows. You can read it for yourself in your own Bible. 
It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, and verses 11 to 31. And here is the story. It will be a transliteration. It was told to a mixed group of people, some hungry to know how to be saved, and some critical of what Jesus said and did. A certain wealthy farmer had two sons. The younger son became restless and wanted to see the world. So he said to his father, Father, give me my inheritance now before you die. And generously his father divided his estate and gave his son what he wanted, a big bag of money. It wasn't long after that that the son said goodbye to his family and set off to see the world. He was not very discreet with his money and all too soon the money was gone. Worse than that, he was a long way from home in a foreign country and there was a drought in that land and jobs were hard to get. Times were tough. Eventually, the son managed to get a job as a swine herd, looking after pigs. This was a disgusting job, as young David had been brought up in such a way as to abhor pigs, not to eat them and not even to touch them. David often longingly looked at what the pigs were eating and wished he could have some of their food for himself. He was down and out and felt extremely sorry for himself. One day, hungry, miserable and angry at his own foolishness, he contemplated the situation he was in and the situation he left back at Shiloh. There he had family. There there was prosperity. There people were treated with respect. There there was acceptance. How he longed to be back home. But there was a problem. By choosing to take his inheritance early, he had no rights to be part of the family anymore. He had forfeited any rights to the estate. But one small glimmer of hope flitted through his mind. Knowing that his father was a just man, fair and kind, he thought that if he was to return home, his father might possibly allow him to work on the estate as one of the hired workers. They had enough to eat, that way, at least, he would have enough to supply his basic needs. So, he made up his mind to go home. Hungry, dejected and humiliated, young David Cohen, the once well-respected son of his father, tramped along the dusty roads and pathways heading toward home. On the way, 
he wondered what he should say to his father, and eventually worked out a little speech. It was, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. There was always the possibility that his father would tell him to get lost. But, on the other hand, he knew his father was a good man, and there was the remote possibility that he would give him a job. Rehearsing his speech over and over, clothes torn, dirty and ragged, his hair long and untidy, his beard unshaved and nails uncut. This young man looked like a tramp of the worst kind. People avoided him, and only one or two gave him a morsel to eat just to get rid of him. He was a far cry from the proud young man he once was. After many days walking, he came to familiar territory. He remembered the shape of the distant hills, the valley leading out to the fertile plain to the farm where he had grown up. Although weak and dispirited, he trudged along the little road leading toward what used to be his home, coming closer and closer with each weary step. Rounding the last bend in the road, and still with some way to go to the front gate, he sighted a man looking his way. The son hardly dared to look up. He was lonely, dispirited, and wondered if he would be sent away with the words, You have disgraced our family. Go away, you worthless cur before he could say anything of the speech he had memorised. But his worst thoughts vanished as the man came running towards him, arms open and a look of delight on his face. It was his father who threw his arms around him and kissed him with delight. The son was perplexed. This was most unexpected. This was not supposed to happen. He had his speech ready and stammered the words out, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But that's as far as he got. The father seemed not to notice and called out to some of his servants who were within earshot, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Oh, what joy there was there that day. There was no need for the remainder of the son's speech. He was reinstated in the family straight away. He would not be just a hired worker. 
He was his father's son, with a ring on his finger, and good clothes replacing the dirty, dusty rags he'd been wearing. Now he was home. He'd been away, and had been as good as dead. As far as his father was concerned, he'd been lost, but now had been found. Now he was back in the love and protection of the one who loved him. And what a celebration it was. There was plenty of good food to eat, food in abundance. There was music and dancing and laughing and hugs and kisses. People from all around were invited to the celebration and the father kept on joyfully repeating, My son! My son has come home. I thought he was gone forever, but my son has come home. Jesus never actually applied the meaning when he told this parable. He left the people to work it out for themselves. But I want to share the meaning with you, and it's one of good news. We'll have a little break. And then we'll come back straight afterwards. When I get to heaven, gonna sing and shout. There's nobody there to turn me out. When I get to heaven, gonna put on my shoe.
told you at the beginning of today's broadcast that a parable is a story with a meaning. And now I'm going to tell you the meaning of this parable. You see, every one of us, at some stage, has done things in our own way and completely messed up. Some of us have done some dreadful things and may have been involved in bad relationships which have made the situation even worse. What we have done may have seemed like fun at first, but then after reality set in, we come to realise what a mistake it had all become. We all have sinned and separated ourselves from our Heavenly Father. Some of you may have a messed up life right now and probably wish that things could be different. Maybe you're caught in a downward spiral of drug abuse, alcohol abuse, a bad marriage, an unhappy work situation, have money worries or any one of many other threatening and stressful things. Come home. Sin has messed up our lives. By following our own sinful and selfish tendencies, we get a messed up life. Come home. Come home to God. His arms are open wide for you. God's grace is there for the asking. Ask for forgiveness. If you recognise your sins and want, it to be, want to be lifted out of your misery, come home. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, the Bible tells us, Where there is sin, there is grace all the more. God is willing and able to forgive every sin, including the very worst sin, provided, of course, you're willing to be forgiven. If you think you've been so bad that God cannot forgive you, think again. God is greater, and his love and grace are far greater than any sin you have committed. The sun in the story is you and me. We have all sinned, and we all deserve punishment. We have been far away from God in a distant country, so to speak. But there is no future in a life away from God. There is no eternal life. The Father in the story represents God. Just as the Father allowed his Son to take his inheritance and go away from home, God will respect our choices, even if it means turning away from him and going our own way. After all, he gave us free choice in the first place. But that doesn't mean he doesn't love us. No, 
He's continually waiting for us to come to our senses and to be encircled by his love. He is waiting for us not to hand out punishment, but to love us and give us what is good for us. God loves us, that's you and me, with a passion. God still loves us even when we are at our lowest ebb. He is waiting for us to realise that we need help. He's waiting for you to realise that you've gotten yourself into a mess so that you can turn to him. He's ready to forgive you and include you in his family. If you do, there will be much joy. The Bible says in Luke fifteen seven, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. But, you know, the parable does not end there. There is more. The other son, the older one, was not around when his wayward young brother arrived. He'd not even been aware of what was happening. And when he came home, he heard the sounds of music and celebration. Learning that his brother had returned home, he, that is, the older brother, was very annoyed and refused to go inside to join the party. After all, hadn't he been out in the fields working, faithfully doing his best for his father while his stupid young brother had been wasting his time and money with foolish living? How could his father tolerate someone who'd been so irresponsible? It just wasn't right and it just wasn't fair. His father went outside and found his son sulking and went to talk with him. Father, the elder son complained, here I am receiving no recognition for all these years of faithful service, yet when this waste of space your son comes home, you throw a party and celebrate. Have you gone crazy? The rebel gets recognition while the faithful one, that's me, gets nothing. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Most probably the Pharisees and Jewish leaders who were listening to the story as Jesus was telling it began to realise that the older brother represented them. They had rigorous rules for right living and by so doing they thought they should be rewarded with eternal life. But they forgot that God is generous. It may be true that some of us have not strayed far from the right way to live, but others have. Whether we think we're relatively good or bad, 
We all have done wrong. All of us have sinned. But I want you to know that God is not fair. That is, he does not treat us as we deserve. He treats us much better than we deserve. The younger son did not have to work at it to get back in favour with his father. The father was there all the time, waiting, ready to accept him, although he was dirty, ragged and probably smelly. Whatever station in life we find ourselves in, whether we think we have been good or bad, salvation is a gift of God. In the story, the father gave to both sons. God is generous, and he's prepared to be generous with anybody, regardless. What a God! As a sinner, I do not deserve anything good from God. If I work at being righteous, that does not guarantee me any of God's good favour. Forgiveness and eternal life is a gift, an undeserved gift. God's grace is for all, because God is gracious to all. But he cannot be gracious to me if I refuse his grace. I must accept it to receive it. He wants you and he wants me to be part of his family circle. In God's family there is love, respect, safety and a future. In some versions of the Bible this parable has been given the title The Prodigal Son or The Foolish Son but it could have easily been called the generous father. This story has been a comfort to many people whose lives have become all messed up. It is a comfort when they realise that there is forgiveness and acceptance for them, even though they have been far away from God. You see, God does not wait for us to become good before he forgives what we've done wrong. He's there, ready and waiting all the time. There is a statement in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 which reassures us of God's unquestionable love and his acceptance of us despite what we have done. It says... But God demonstrates his own love for us, for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No, you don't have to try to become good first before asking for forgiveness. What you have to do is to be willing to come to God and ask. God will forgive you. The promise is sure. And God does not lie. The younger son, the prodigal, did not clean himself up and buy a new set of clothes before he approached his father. He came as he was, dirty, ragged, disappointed, sinful and needy.
and he was accepted immediately. Not because he deserved it, but because his father loved him and wanted him back. And, dear listener, I want you to know that your sins can be forgiven and you will be accepted by God. But like the prodigal son, you need to make the first move. You have to want to be forgiven. God will not force anything on you. So, if you've been troubled by a guilty conscience and you know that you've done wrong, why don't you turn to God? He will forgive you and free you from your troubled mind. Go to God. Nothing or nobody else can help you as he can and will. Say to him, Lord, I recognise that I have sinned. Please forgive me. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Do it today. You have nothing to lose. Friends, that's it for today. I hope this story has helped you and I hope you will join me again next week for another in the series, Give Me the Bible. Until then, I wish you peace, joy and the reassurance that God loves you.